This is the Three Shots Down podcast with Jerry Soupy, Andy Rodriguez, and Kate Dore. Hello, welcome to the Three Shots Down podcast, man. I tell you what, I've been trying to get this thing started for years now. There's always something that has come up to stop it, you know. And then one day I was just sitting there, I'm like, you know, I'm going to get this thing started again. I'm like, who are two people that I can get to do this show with me. So out of the blue, I was thinking of uh, my first my first guest, my first co-host, excuse me, Andy Rodriguez. I'm like, Andy, are you going to, would he be low enough to actually come down and do a show with me? <laughs> <laughs> and he said yes. And I was like blown away. And I'm like, I'm going to really make a reach here now. I'm going to ask Kate Dore to uh, <laughs> go on the show. I'm like, There's no way in hell she's too good for this show. But she said yes. And, you know, I am blessed to have two great co-hosts. I mean, I'm Jerry Soupy. Everybody knows me from a bunch of shows, I'm sure. But uh, I, mean, I think you know everybody because we've been around this musical podcast thing for a while now. And our first guest, Kate Dore, thank you very much for doing this show with me. How are you? Howdy. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a fun adventure. I'm ready to go, man. Yeah, I agree, man. It's, I think we got something original here. So not original, but something kind of cool. It'll be different. I think it'll be great. Yeah. And then, Andy Rodriguez, man, how you doing, man? I am doing fantastic. Thank you for um, asking me to be on the show, Three Shots Down. You know, um, it was a while back. It was probably about a year and a half ago. You had recorded a little bit of it, and you sent me a snippet of it just to get my opinion. I think it was more of a snippet. I think it was like 20 minutes of the introduction of what the show is going to be. And um, I I played it, and I gave you my... I gave you my input, and then I told my mom and I told my wife Molly. I said he didn't ask me to be on it with him. <laughs> <laughs> and then you finally asked, so I'm so excited. I've been wanting to be on this, and um, like Jerry and Kate were saying, this is going to be a very unique show. You're going to get um, a story from three different sides, um, hence the name Three Shots Down. And we are going to pick subjects and artists that we don't really get to talk about that much or that you don't hear that often on other podcasts. And I'm hoping that that's what's going to make us a little different. And it's not like we're going to pick artists that no one knows about. It's always going to be artists that that a lot of people know about, just maybe not as shined um, upon as as others. And that's what I'm excited about is is to... let the listeners know about these other artists or other subjects that are out there in the world of rock music. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I've, always, I've always wanted to do, you know, the, you know, like great, like triumphs, tragedies, you know, and just other important events in music history. I yeah. thought this would be, you know, interesting topics between the three of us. Cause I think the three of us are, uh, have a lot of different, I mean, we, we agree on some stuff, but I think we have a lot of stuff. We don't, we don't particularly, agree on but are anxious yeah. to know about you know what i mean right kate well and i think just doing anything you know me i'm such a huge history nut and i do these deep dives whenever we do a show and this one especially to be able to utilize my study skills and have that where we can really deep dive and especially any kind of mystique associated with someone and, and this character in particular that we're going to be covering i mean just such a, a um, powerhouse and then such a tragedy and that I think you people kind of glaze over that 
and that gets missed. And I think it's so important to discuss these trials and tribulations that famous musicians have that, you know, mental health or drug abuse and different things that people don't like to talk about. So we can do the taboo. We can do the tragedies. And I think it'll be really cool. Yeah, and when I explain this to friends of mine that I hope become fans, I tell them it's like taking rock and roll and a Dateline episode and putting it together. There you go. That's that's a perfect way to describe it. So that's (laughs) what I'm hoping that this podcast becomes a a rock and roll Dateline. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect way to describe it. We got rock line. Three shots down rock line. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe or rock, get, maybe, rock maybe Island get, line. Yeah, maybe get that Law and Order thing that dun 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 dun. We gotta go. Boop, boop. Right. The dun dun exactly probably probably got a copyright on it. Dick right. Wolf. <laughs> Dick Wolf. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, the other one. The other one. The other one I really watched was this for you. I ever really didn't watch any of the other ones. <laughs> Um, so. Yeah. No, I, I just watched the original Law and Order. I didn't watch the 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 others. But Dateline, I tell I tell you, I uh-huh. can get lost on Datelines. I was big on Unsolved Mysteries. What was the music on Unsolved Mysteries? Oh yes. And the thing about Unsolved Mysteries, <laughs> um, I was watching it on Pluto TV the other day, uh-huh. and I remember that my family and I that that was a show we would sit down and watch together. And, that was my family. My family, everybody would come watch it. So that was a yeah, big. Yeah, and, and I was all like, we would sit down and watch this as a family. This is horrible. <laughs> oh, what was his name? Uh, Richard Stack, right? That was the guy that hosted. Yeah, the show. no, Robert yeah, Stack. Robert Stack. Yeah, Robert, Robert Stack. Stack. Yeah. yeah. What a perfect, yeah. perfect, perfect dude. He, he had to walk the... out in the shadows <laughs> with the trench coat. Yep. Yeah. Perfect with guy. Voice, with that yeah. voice of his. Oh my gosh. Yep. Yeah, we can do. It's funny. We had to do this big project when I was a senior in high school. I had this AP English class, and yeah. our project we did a show called Unresolved Histories. So it was like Amelia Earhart or somebody that's oh, like, yeah. what happened? You know what happened to them? <laughs> Just and BB Cooper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Al Capone. Where's he at? <laughs> yeah, right. All right, should we get to the topic at hand, or we got we got yeah, let's do it, man. All right, um, I picked a you know I personally a favorite vocalist of all time in my opinion is the great late uh, Brad Delp, um, amazing singer. Of course, we all know him from Boston and all the hits that he wrote with Tom. Um, you know, he had a decent career with them, and of course, you know what Kate will talk about later. Um, unfortunately an untimely ending and then in the middle here Andy's going to talk about you know a lot of stuff you know kind of after the first two Boston albums like solo careers and stuff with uh, other band members um but uh yeah I mean what do you guys are you guys like Boston fans how would you guys rate yourselves as Boston fans do you want to go first Kate um I am a mild to medium (laughs) um so i've talked about this before that this just wasn't something that i grew up with listening to my parents didn't really listen to it and that i think does have a big effect on 
what you're into and, and older stuff, obviously, like Boston's a little out of my timeline, but their first couple of albums are just so iconic and such a big going from like nothing to giant arena rock, obviously. Um, I think they have a lot of great songs. I think some of their hits are such powerhouses, Delp's voice, obviously, and and all the whole band was just so incredible. Um, but that's where I get lost, too. After that first couple albums and their big, big hits, then going into any other albums that come out, and they had a big time, like a big time gap between albums, that's where I get lost, later stuff. Um, yeah, you, with, uh, yeah, with me, you know, um, I started listening to, to Classic Rock when Classic Rock Radio first started coming out, like in the early 90s. It became a radio station classic rock and you can hear the whole first album on classic yeah. rock they, because they were great um singles so almost well not almost the whole album was played on um album on on, on classic rock and then their second album don't look back it wasn't that successful on the radio but they're experimental into longer songs into more of a a radio-friendly prog sound mm. um, captured my imagination. And then there was a big gap, and we'll talk about that gap in between albums. And um, Third Stage, which was the third album, I wasn't that big of a fan because I wasn't a big fan of the lead track, of, of the lead single that came out. So I really didn't get into that album until <laughs> later on. And then even then, I just thought it was okay. And after that, um, I just bailed pretty much. Yes. The other thing I want to mention, um, sorry, Jerry, the other thing I was going to mention, these album covers, the first few album covers, I mean, they're self-titled, such an iconic album cover. And then the next one, I mean, come on. And thinking of, if you look at it, it's guitar spaceships. And I think a lot of people don't even notice that. That you're looking at the main part of the spaceship and it's like, oh yeah. shit, it's a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Think I didn't know that until 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 recently. I looked at yeah. it and I was like, Oh my god, how can I miss this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the but I think the biggest part of the damn thing right. is so, a guitar. So many people miss that. You're not the only person. Because yeah. that was something I never paid attention to until I saw there's probably a meme or something stupid like that that showed that, like, oh, it's a guitar spaceship, and there's two other guitar spaceships following it, yeah. and they're coming off this planet. And then the next ones are similar that the covers have, you know, like the next one, Don't Look Back, has the spaceship, and it's, like, scanning. <laughs> and then that third, what is it, third shot? Third stage. Uh, third, stage. third stage, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool album cover. Yeah. Yeah, I was lucky enough to see Boston with Brad uh, on the third stage tour. Wow, yeah. Um, was, cool. uh, I just tells you how old I am, everybody. But uh, <laughs> incredible singer, and they were an incredible live band. I mean, yeah. you know, people think of, of Boston as Tom Schultz, you know, because obviously, you know, he was the mastermind. He wrote all, most of the songs and all that, produced yeah. and directed, engineered, did the catering, you know, everything for that album, you know what I mean? Um but, you know, even he admits, it's like, you know, it would not be Boston without, you know, Brad's voice. And, you know, I think it was a perfect marriage as far mm-hmm. as, you know, yeah. and it, 
till this day, I think it's still one of the best. But anyway, let's get into a little bit personal here about Brad Delp. Brad Edward Delp, born uh, June 12th, 1951, and then unfortunately died March 9th, 2007. Mm-hmm. He was the original singer of Boston. We all know that and said that. He joined the band in 1970, which is kind of weird. I never knew this, that they, they were around that long before their debut that came out in 1976. So that actually just found that out, actually. That's kind of interesting. And uh, he was his voice was on every album except for Walk On, which uh, I definitely missed his voice on that one for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, Delph was known for his unique and soulful singing and the vocal range of his golden voice. I love ClassicRock.com ranked Delph third on this list of top ten male classic rock vocalists. You know, it describes Delph's tenor voice as flawless and effortless. How would you guys summarize that? Would you agree about that? About oh yeah! Oh yeah! His voice meant Boston. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, of course, it, it was the big guitars and all that from um, from um, from Schultz, right? Yes. From Schultz and Jordan and Jordo, Jordo. That's another person we can't miss when when we're talking about Boston. But that voice was just so fantastic. It was. And, Nobody else sounded like that. And when you were saying about how flawless and so easy it was for, for him to reach those low and high notes, Amazing. you know, just um just go on just just go on YouTube and see people's you know how they see people's reaction when they right. hear a song for the first time. Mm-hmm. Blah blah yeah. blah. <laughs> but people are amazed about how how Brad Delp sang, especially on more than a feeling. You yeah. know, the way that he would go up mm-hmm. and down. And I can't believe how many views those reactions get. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I watched a few of them. They're kind of they're kind of interesting. I don't I kind of like them actually, to be honest with you. Oh well, yeah, they're, they are, but they get like hundreds and thousands of views. They do that. And we worked so hard. I know. And doing research and talking. And <laughs> it's like, man. Yeah, there's, this, there's this woman I watch. I can forget her name at the moment. She's like an opera singer. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, when, she, when she, hears these, she hears these voices for the first time, you can tell that she's really impressed by the voice. It's not, it's not fake or anything. So it's right. kind of cool. cool to see the reaction of some of these people who have never heard the yeah. music before. Um. I like when it's somebody from another country. Those are always funny to me when it's someone that's not from America hearing something like that. Right. And especially, like Andy mentioned, more than a feeling that, like, his voice in that, and it just rings out. It is just so good. And to be big enough to be on Guitar Hero, or if you guys watch South Park and you think of that episode <laughs> where the one dad starts playing Guitar Hero and they play that so many times, but such a... Yeah. Incredibly iconic. I know I've said that, but that's just one of those songs that even if you don't like Boston or listen to them, you know all the words to that. Yeah, I know that's crazy. You know, and that that's something that tells you like this song is part of American history. This song is gonna live on forever with everyone, no matter the age, and that so many people get introduced to that song again by playing a game or watching a show and it's on that and it's like um thinking about that because uh what's his face covered fast car with tracy chapman yes. and she finally like had a number one hit again because people started looking up her song 
I can't even think of the country. I'm not into that kind of country music, but oh, it's horrible. But, uh, <laughs> but his cover, his cover's good. I can't think of who did that, but his covers, he does a fine job. But like her song, and then um, it's funny because uh, like Brenda Lee, that rocking around the Christmas tree, yeah. is a number one hit right now. It is, yes. And she's like 78, and how incredible to be 78. And your hit, you recorded, you were, she was like 13 when she recorded that song, which is just mind-boggling to me to know she was so young. And That's then, number one right now. Really? And it's a number one hit right now. Like, oh, how I many love years, that song. How many years later? Yeah. I've always loved that song, but that was just something funny I heard the other day. And it was like, how amazing to be lucky enough to still be alive. Because imagine, like, Brad Delp. Um, seeing that where it's like, oh, Guitar Hero picks this right. song up, and then South Park picks this song up, and just big, huge shows like that host your song, and then it's just sad that he's not here to see that. And you have I'm this pissed. like complete resurgence of something you did when you were young pop back up again. Right. I think, the, I think the guy still... that. Oh, I'm sorry, Andy. Go ahead. Oh no, just that um it'd be, be something that Brad Delp knew how popular he still is in pop culture. Yes. I mean you can't if you put on a classic rock radio station, you listen to it for maybe not every hour, but two or three hours, you're more than likely to hear a Boston song. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean and the cool thing about it is it's not gonna be the one song. I mean, that whole album is basically a greatest hits package, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, but that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Which is out of this world, as far as I'm concerned. Every song is actually played on the, you know, the radio still to this day. Yeah. Right, right. And it's wild for a debut album to have so many hits that still get played. A and debut how, what, album. What year did you say? It was 76. 76, yes. Yeah. So imagine, you know, how many years later in that, that's still a hit. And and yeah. numerous hits, not just like one hit wonder style, where right. there's lots of bands that are a one hit wonder, but this band is like numerous hit wonders. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know the amazing part about Brad's voice, in my opinion, is there was a time. I mean, this wasn't you know auto tune error or you know no. clean up the clean up no. the vocals that much. I'm sure they had something, some kind of filter back then, but not as you know. Not like now, where no. it's like. Then you got what you got. Like, that was somebody's voice was what their voice was. It's not like now where all the auto-tuning and everything, and then you hear someone without auto-tuning, and it is sometimes horrendous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, let's talk about the first album again for, uh, for a second. I remember hearing that as a kid, and uh, I think more than a feeling was, that's pretty much everybody's, you know, introduction to Boston. I mean, just the sound of it, the guitar, everything about it. Being in, and it was just so incredible sound. It was so different from, I think, what was being made in rock and roll in the late 70s, in, in my opinion, from what I gather what was going on at the time. And it was just such an, uh, I don't know, it's, it was all aspiring for me. It was just so emotional, so uh, well-recorded. Um, I just, uh, you know, fell in love with it immediately. Um, it's like one of those things hear a band for the first time and it's like you know you're gonna love that music for the rest of your life and that was my you know my first uh uh emotion about boston i mean wow these guys are freaking good you know what i mean um i didn't know it was really you know so much as you know 
the whole, most of the work had done by Tom himself, mm-hmm. but uh, just in, you know, I mean, just in that regards, I mean, the guys, you know, we talked about him being an amazing, you know, engineer, recorder, you know, whatever, whatever engineer, producer, director, filmer, <laughs> farmer. Right, theater, right. I mean, incredible, incredible talent. And um, to this day, I, I still, you know, pick up that album and put it in every now and then. It's It's that good, in my opinion. Um, when it's incredible when you have someone who's such a polymath like yeah. that, that someone can be so talented in so many areas is is always interesting to me. Um, but that 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 feeling that you're talking about when you can isolate a moment where you heard something and immediately fall in love with that singer's voice or that band or yes. you end up playing the whole album and that's such a I don't even know how to express it in words properly, but such a magical thing and it isolates something. And then that feeling of certain songs at certain points in your life. And then later in your life, they mean something different, but you still have such a, and I might be romanticizing, but you guys, especially music lovers like you guys, you know what I mean when I'm saying that, that you have such an isolated moment, but then those songs become different meanings as you grow and as you're processing and different different things that are going on in your life makes something seem different. And this thing of, um, I remember when Bowie died and someone said something about how you feel when a musician dies. And it's like, you never knew them personally, but they got you to know yourself. And right. that's why yes. when one of these guys dies, it's such a tragic event for you in your life because it was so meaningful to you. Yeah. yeah so, and, go ahead, Andy. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. And the thing is, is that people that aren't music lovers or the or the ones that say like, oh well, I like a little bit of everything, or I like the songs on the radio, they don't get connected with the musicians the way that we do. Yes. You know, their 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 words and their songs kind of shape the kind of personalities that we will have as we get older. I know that that's how certain bands like the Beatles and Neil Young have affected me that I that I carry myself in that way. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Because there's certain people, and especially getting into a ton of different genre, that um, you have these connections and you hear someone's story. And that was especially... Beatles obviously has so many transitions, so I think it's so interesting. You're watching them grow, but it's a span of not very long time that they're becoming such different people. And I think, especially if you're alive at the time, that you'd be growing with them. But just me discovering them and then discovering someone, like you guys know I'm obsessed with John Prine and... Mm you know, Hendrix and all these different people that you can listen to these songs a million times. And every time you do, you're at a different point in your life and it means something different to you. It's just such an incredible gift that they give us and something that they leave that, you know, and talking about how I was saying like these new generations of younger kids discovering this music and the same things happening to them. And that cycle repeats and repeats. Yeah. Um, that is that is true about that. I mean, I'm noticing a lot of young people are, especially. I thought it was just a Tennessee thing that are listening to, you know, ACDC, Boston, Zeppelin, and stuff like that, which is a good sign, actually. No, it's going on all over the country, all over the world. 
and especially now with streaming and, and the internet and you have these people how is saying people watching those videos, those reaction videos, and it's like people right. in completely different countries are getting exposed to this and and talking about meeting people from other countries that come here and, and you know me, I'll talk I'm the type of person I'll talk to anyone, especially somebody that's from another country learning English and that and and having the whole thing of where they're taking the time to learn English and be here and experience that. It's like, oh, man, if I could just talk to you and and I'll send you a bunch of songs that you should check out and things that you should learn about America and things I'm proud about with especially music, obviously. But exposing other people, there's such a, a an amazing feeling of, of sharing music that you love with someone else. Yes. And people who show you new music are so important in your life. Yes. Well said. And um, you know, getting back to the songs off the first album real quick. I mean, look at these songs, more than a feeling, peace of mind for play long time. I mean, those are all just like <laughs> standards on classic rock. And he turned it over. You got rock and roll band smoking, <laughs> hitch a ride, something about you. And then the, the one that Brad Delp wrote by himself, let me take you home tonight, which is actually a really beautiful song. Yeah, um, just, just freaking, just amazing. I mean, how uh, you know, you, they struck gold that early in their career. Amazing. Um, you know, of course, Brad, of course, which you know, a lot of musicians in the you know you hear from the seventies were brought up listening to the Beatles. I think the Beatles, the Beatles were the biggest influence of rock and roll everywhere. You know what I mean? I don't care what anybody says. You know, I'm not the hugest Beatles fans like you guys are. But man, mm-hmm. come on now. The Beatles are like, you know, <laughs> they're the blueprint. You know what I mean? They are. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm, I think Andy's going to talk about something that Brad did, you know, for the, you know, with the Beatles, um, little side project he, he did. Yeah. Yeah. And, I um, didn't know about that until we were talking about this and I started deep diving and I was like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 And one of the things that Tom said, and this is going to be, you know, one of the most controversy things about what Casey and I'll talk about later is, you know, Tom said he, he had the greatest, best singer he ever had, period. He said he's worked with a ton of them. Mm-hmm. Nobody can do the things that he can do. Mm-hmm. So I'm not talking about singing high notes. Lots of people can do that. He can do amazing things with his voice. And his grasp of music is just mind-boggling. The things that he can keep upstairs. It's like you're tapping into some kind of computer memory bank or something. And that, to me, that's high praise. I mean, it really is about your, you know, your your your, your fellow bandmate, mm-hmm. um, and just the chemistry of those two had. I mentioned it earlier; is just incredible. I mean, it, you know, I, I I can't mention it enough how what a perfect match that was. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, like, what would you think? You got a couple more bands that you would think have that perfect chemistry besides the Beatles. We all know the Beatles. <laughs> what would you what, what would you guys think off off top of your head? I mean Zeppelin, um I could say the Who. I mean you got the two survivors are still playing together now and and uh man, how many bands do you have that have a huge love hate relationship too? And that's Boston definitely had a lot of yes. adversity in their time. And I think Love is such a powerful emotion and hate is such a powerful emotion that they're very similar. It's the flip side, but people who love each other, like it's such an easy thing to get upset and be in that hate position, but then you love them. And that's this after he's gone. I think 
people have all those regrets. And that's, you said, not the Beatles, but obviously, like, once John was gone, they realized, like, God, that was my brother. We grew up together. That's someone I adored. Even though he made everyone else nuts, they miss him, you know? Um, But there are so many bands like that, and then one member's gone early, and there's all those emotions and regret that are left with the survivors. That's very heavy. Yeah. I mean, and then their second release came out a couple of years later, Don't Look Back, of course. Mm-hmm. Another album, which everybody knows pretty much. Not maybe all the songs, but a lot of them were still played on classic rock. The title track, Don't Look Back, an amazing tune. Um, Feeling Satisfied, A Man I'll Never Be. Just, you know, just standards on, on classic rock record. Um, you know, it's just... The songwriting and the and, and 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 the production into their music to me was it's still today from today's standard not matched. You know what I mean? I don't know if today's music is too computerized or whatever, but I don't know. Just something about those recordings back in the seventies, man, that were just amazing. You know what I mean? The way they were done. Yeah. And uh, yeah, true. I think there's then, some. There's some musicians that get there. Like, they are definitely some newer musicians that have that connection and have the emotion and the backing behind it, but they don't end up being super famous stars, which blows my mind. Right. There's some bands that definitely, in my book, could compare with any of these huge, huge arena acts and that, but it's just something... I don't know if it's generational or just how music goes nowadays or like within the last 20 years, maybe even after grunge, because you can imagine Mm. like some of the grunge guys, they get deep, you know, they get heavy. They're singing about really controversial stuff and they're singing about, you know, and that whole vibe of that kind of era. But I feel like after that, maybe stuff isn't as serious or isn't as meaningful um, but there's a handful of the people, but they just, for whatever reason, they're just lost to obscurity and not as famous as some of those acts. Yeah. But that's um, like, um, what is it? You've said it before where like Amanda's one of your favorite ballads ever. <laughs> and, oh, it is. It is. And I, I, I know it. you've said it before and that's just like, there are certain ballads and things that really stand out through time and they stand the test of time that they're just amazing and that's i don't know how many people or how many bands have songs like that i mean how ballsy now how how ballsy is that to lead off an album with a ballad you know yeah the lead track third stage i mean wow i mean what a what a what a risk that was and it worked i mean Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um, of course then after their second album oh boy a lot of stuff happened between their second and third album a lot of uh Issues with the recording studios, this and that. I don't know. I guess uh, I guess Tom and the record studios didn't really work well together. <laughs> um, if you you know, <laughs> you know, he wanted to do things a lot of his way, and he did it. You know, recorded the stuff in his basement. They wanted him to come out and do stuff in the studio. He didn't mm-hmm. want to do that. Blah 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 blah. Uh, and I think somehow he tricked the studio into thinking that. They were recorded in the studio when they gave them the masters or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that kind of worked out. 
But uh, a lot of a lot of the digging and a lot of the history into this paints him as not the best person. No. And I think I think someone who's really truly a genius, like how we were saying, he's a polymath. He's obviously a genius, and I think geniuses really have a hard time dropping down to a level of normal people, so they come off poorly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's probably like on the spectrum and I think that time period that paints people in a bad light but it's it's you know it's hard to not have something as perfect as you want like talking heads to me is another example of like someone who's absolutely brilliant and holds such an incredibly high standard for all of his bandmates uh, David Byrne obviously and like even now to this day that like Christina Weymouth's still mad at him. And I feel like Tom Schultz gets that too, that he's painted in such a bad light by history. And it's like, he probably wasn't a bad guy. It's just hard for him to associate and not think of other people as like such a high standard as himself and what he wants and how his brain processes things. Well, I think that was, I, I, I think that was, I don't think there was any, uh, what do you call it, uh, misgivings on who was in control of that band. You know what I mean? Right. I'm sure everybody knew that, you know, maybe they thought they'd have some kind of say in it, but I think pretty much, you know, it was Tom's baby and um, right. it may have been his way or the highway. You know I'll, what I mean? I'll well, get to know. it in, in my shot. I'll get to it. But there's some underlying things that seem to okay. be an issue. And, and, yes. and you know, that's. That's how history likes to create a monster, yes. if that makes sense. You oh, know? Does, so right. I think he he gets put into the monster role in this band, unfortunately. Yes. All right. Well, I'm finished with. Uh, oh, you guys, something to say? Andy, go ahead. Sorry. Well, yeah, I was gonna say, but I think every band has that one band member that controls yep. everything. Yeah. You know, but. But maybe that's why bands like the Beatles and the Stones, yep. they got two of those with Lennon McCartney and Jagger and, 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 and Richards, yeah. where it's not just one person leading it. And there's a balance there, you know, there's, um, and that's why they can be very successful because there's not just one, one ruler of them all. You know, it's like I will bring up Motley Crue because when I was a kid, I was a big Motley Crue fan. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was all for one and one for all. And as you get older, you start to hear and read about the underlying things about like maybe, well, not maybe, but that Nikki Six really ran everything. Sure. Mm-hmm. And that Vince Neil was just a hired singer. And he wasn't really part of the band. He was just hired to be the singer. And that they don't, um, they don't divide the 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 monies as as fairly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One one person will make more, and then right. it starts to trickle down. And that really surprised me because I thought they just cut it, you know, in fours or in fives or whatever have you. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's um, it's my shot. This is the second shot. Uh, Brad, about Brad Delp's life. Um, this time after the release of Don't Look Back, and um, there was up and down for the band and for Delp. Um, another album won't be released until 1986, 
on third stage. And that's an eight-year period. And let's keep that time, eight years, in our mind when we're talking about Boston album releases. We'll get to that later on. But other AOR bands of the late 70s, like Journey, Argo Speedwagon, Foreigner, um, just to name a few, who found great successes in the early to mid-80s. And Boston was the leader of those three bands in the late 70s, but right. they weren't releasing anything at that time like the other bands were. Um, during this time, Tom Schultz, uh, Tom Schultz, Tom Schlotz, sorry, I keep on saying that wrong. Tom Schlotz was spending more time in the courthouses than in recording studios. Um, to this day, to, to, to this day, he still spends more time in the courtroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, he's still like that. You know, he'll sue everyone, or anyone <laughs> will try to sue him, and it's just a, <laughs> it's a lot of back and forth. Um, I'm surprised yep. that the city of Boston doesn't have the <laughs> have the Tom Schlotz courthouse, you know, and and just take off the name of the county and just call right. it Tom Schultz. <laughs> um, but during this time, Dump was in a band with Boston member Barry Goudreau. Goudreau, yes. Goudreau. Also, when Goudreau left Boston, he also formed another band called Orion the Hunter, in which um, he also employed Dump to contribute vocals and, and co-writing. But unfortunately, um, unfortunately, they weren't able to to um, have great success with that with those albums that were released at that time, although they were critical favorite. But then, after having the blessings from Tom Schultz, Tom Schultz came back and said, "No, y'all sound too much like Boston." Well, yeah, that's the vocals <laughs> of Boston. Yeah. And the other guitar of Boston. How else do you think they're going to sound like that? That's them. You know, that's another thing that I will um, um, call upon. It's like when you have these really successful bands and the lead singer leaves to go, quote, unquote, solo, but they sound just like the band that they left. All that's about money. It's because they didn't want to do the equal sharing anymore or give the band members a percentage. Mm. So they go out and get and get just studio mus musicians to recreate their sound where this one band member who went solo now has a bigger a bigger purse. You know, that's just, you know, I'm just glad I'm not in that business and I just sit here <laughs> And listen to it and talk about it. I'm I'll tell you, I'm not a part of all of that. I, I tell you what, that Orion the Hunter album, I, I enjoy that. There's some great songs off that album. Dark and Stormy, yeah. great tune. All those years, um, too much in love. I mean, just you know, great songs. Too much in love. Brad Delps, probably one of Brad Delps' best vocals in my opinion. It's an amazing yeah. album. Yeah. So if you listeners miss Boston between between Don't Look Back and Third Stage, take a look. Into um, Orion the the Hunter, or the Goudreau years that was like in eighty one, eighty two. You'll you you'll get that same old feeling back. Yeah. Um, but Dup uh, will be back in the fold in Boston with their third album, Third Stage, was released and became a commercial hit. But again, um, Brad Dup felt like he might have been 
a hired vocalist instead of being one of the members in the band. And we talked about that, you know, you, you, you feel like you're just there for the paycheck, but you think that when you're in a rock band, you're like, yeah, you know, I, I'm a badass band member, you know, and really it just comes down to, to paychecks and, and um, we'll talk about that later on, but um, Here, does anyone want to add about that? Yeah, here's the thing. It's like, uh, I just, you know, I, I've listened to a lot of interviews of Tom talking about Brad. I mean, when he was still alive and afterwards, it just seemed like, I don't know, Tom really did appreciate Brad's contributions to the band. Right. Um, and uh, I don't think he's ever bad-talked him. Um, of course, in Kate's part, there's some interesting, <laughs> interesting tidbits. Uh, about you know <laughs> what actually caused his death, but we'll, I guess we'll get that when her I, part comes. I think actions speak louder than words. Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and to get back on Schultz, he would sometimes belittle Dump's contributions that may have led to his feelings of depression to reoccur, since it was a condition that Brad Dump has dealt with for many years. But once again, again, remember, be another eight years for another Boston album. And during this time in the, in the 90s, Brad Dupp had stated that he might not have much time for Boston. He was looking forward, forward to different musical outlets because this was, I mean, eight years just to be standing idle. That's not, a, that's not very good if you're in the music business because music changes so quickly. Yeah, because, you know, Boston, you know, you figured that they're, you know, because they broke contract, would not be around, be allowed to use the name Boston anymore, much less record another album underneath their name. Yeah. Because I know they got, he got into a lot of, you know, leak, I guess like four albums within 10 years or something like that with a contract or something like that. I can't remember, but um, he definitely breached the contract. I, I don't know the, you know, obviously he may have won some of it because he still, you know, has the Boston name and still records albums. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, what are they, you know, he told the band members, actually, from what I understand, like, look, this is going to be a while. Go look for other projects, this and that, you know. <laughs> but eight years, I mean, I know. everything changes. The, the landscape changes. MTV yeah, changed. Um, the sales of albums changed. Yes. Where um, touring, it does so much goes into eight years. Right? Imagine it goes from vinyl to CDs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> The huge yes. jump, cassettes. I mean, I mean, it's just such a huge jump in time. And from the midnight, from the midnight special to MTV, you know, that's such a big gap. Yeah. You know, and a big change. But um, during this time, he would form another band again with Goudreau called RTZ. Oh man, good band. Good. Yeah, them. we have really was. They were keeping up with the times but still yeah. keeping the Boston feeling at the same time. But they couldn't find success, although the music was good. But at that time, they didn't have the name, you know, RTZ. Yeah. You know, uh, but he will return again Boston for his last release with a band called Corporate America. And during this time, he was also lead vocalist for a Beatles cover band. Remember, we were talking about him and the Beatles. Yes. They were called they were called Beetlejuice. Yes, yes. Supposedly, there's videos of them on on YouTube. I've never seen them yet. So, a lot of people talk. Hear that. 
Yeah, and back to RTZ. That Return to Zero album came out in 91, man. I'm telling you, that is a freaking great album. It really is. If you haven't heard it, check it out, because it really is incredible. Yeah, but all this that he was doing, you know, outside of, of Boston and really still keeping up working nonstop when um, there was a lot of lawsuits going on and a lot of time in between releases, but it would not lead to the successes that he had in Boston, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. And well, because I think... Yeah. You know, a lot of bands back there were kind of faceless. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if you yeah. saw something, if you saw Brad Delp walking down the street, you wouldn't know who the hell it was. You know what I mean? Oh, no. Um, no. So, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, like Steve Perry. You know, you, 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 you that were pretty much the face of the band. But Boston really never had a face. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Um. So that's the end of my shot. I mean, I mean that was the second shot. Now I will pass it on over to Kate Dore. <laughs> so Kate's gonna deal with the depressing part of the show. Yeah, the third shot gets a little heavy here, so buckle up. Um, trigger warning if you guys don't know about Brad Delp, but I will get to this. Um, <clears throat> so when the police arrive at Brad Delp's home on March 9, 2007. It was immediately clear that something was amiss. A dryer vent hose connected to the car's exhaust pipe Mm. lay lay on the ground alongside the vehicle. The door to the house inside the garage made the owner's intentions explicit. The note says, to whomever finds this, I have hopefully committed suicide. Plan B was to asphyxiate myself in my car. Inside the house, a second note directing police to the master bedroom. There on the bedroom door, a third note warned them of the possible presence of carbon monoxide. The police knocked down the bathroom door, and after a lengthy silence, they began pattering it full force. The odor of charcoal and hot plumes of smoke poured from the room. Broken tape along the door indicated it had been sealed. As the smoke cleared, the scene within the bathroom slowly became into view. On the floor beside them lay a body of a man, his head resting on a pillow, a note paper clipped to the neck of his shirt. It says, Mr. Brad Delp, J'ai un um, solitaire. Translated, I have a lonely soul. Brad Delp was dead. His death ruled a suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. He was 55. Police had found four sealed letters in the home that were addressed to his fiancée, Pamela Sullivan, Delp's children, their mother, Nikki Delp, and another unidentified couple. But in these letters, Delp had wrote a poignant statement in one of the notes found in his home. He says, I take complete and sole responsibility for my present situation. I have lost my desire to live. Adding instructions to the police on how to contact his fiance, he says, unfortunately, she is totally unaware of what I have done. Um, Though his fragile emotional state had been known to his fiance, Delp's fans were completely caught off guard. So Jerry was talking about this. Delp was preparing for a summer tour with Boston, his bandmates, guitarist Tom Scholz and Barry Goudreau. 
Um, Boston's website at the time was replaced with a simple black background and white text message saying, we've just lost the nicest guy in rock and roll. Later, a concert known as Come Together, a tribute to Brad Delp, occurred on August 19, 2007. After Brad Delp's death, accusations were made that Boston band leader Tom Scholes, which we've been talking about, history loves to paint a monster, yes. is attributed to him taking his own life. So in how you guys were saying he's a very litigious character, Scholes went to court with a defamation lawsuit against Delp's ex-wife, Mickey Delp, the Boston Herald who had printed people's opinions on the matter. And 20 people took the stand to testify against Scholes, including former bandmate David Sykes, Sykes' testimony recounts a conversation in which Delpick finded him that he envied that Sykes had the guts to stand up to Scholes and leave the band. Scholes prepared a counter-argument that involved an incident in which Delp had planted a camera in his fiancée's sister's bedroom. So here comes all the spicy stuff of yeah. there's some background and some shady yeah. stuff going on that probably contributed to this. Uh, <clears throat> Meg Sullivan, who is Pam, Pamela, um, Brad Delp's fiance, Pamela. So Meg Sullivan, the sister, had been living with Delp and his fiance for two years. Meg described Delp as her best friend and was obviously mortified by the findings. Meg and her boyfriend, Ton, uh, Todd Wimmill, confronted Delp. And in an email, the couple wrote to Delp, I feel sick about this and deservedly so. I want to try to understand that you can. I consider myself a decent person who made a dreadful error in judgment. I acted out of some impulses that is still not completely fathomable to me. Delp also said that Pamela, his fiance, had had an affair that left him traumatized, adding, "Maybe the emotional roller coaster I was on has, in some way, something to do with what possessed me to do such an irrational and out of character thing." And it's to go on anyway. Meanwhile, Delp's fiance Pamela was unaware of the camera incident. Meg's boyfriend, Windmill, told Delp that he should be the one to tell her, writing in an email, it is because of Meg's regard for you that she has given you this opportunity to tell Pam yourself. In this time, Delp had promised that he would, but he asked for a few days to do so, in which was during the time that he would prepare and sex successfully take his own life. It is this incident that Scholes says pushed Delp to commit suicide, not his own relationship with the singer. Delp left behind a letter in which he apologized to Meg and her boyfriend and clears them of blame for his suicide. A line from their letter, which this is the unidentified couple that I spoke of earlier, says, I have had bouts of depression and thoughts of suicide since I was a teenager. Pamela was my ray of sunshine, but sometimes a ray of sunshine is no substitute for a good psychiatrist. Yeah. So how heavy and just such an incredibly strange couple days of events. I mean, just a few days that this happens and he's called out on it. And then in that few days, he plans this. Obviously, this is something that was thought of and planned out and successfully achieved unfortunately um yeah let me take this if i might um yeah this is where i'm team tom on this one all right now 
they're just about ready to go on a tour, correct? Right. And, uh, you know, everything seemed peachy key in the band. They were, you know, even Barry Goodrow was going to join the band, which was like... Right, you know, rejoin this band. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that sounded like a great time just for the, you know, for Brad, because they were good friends, him and Barry. So, um, I don't, you know, maybe, maybe Tom wasn't the nicest person to Brad, but if I had to pick a reason why I would feel bad, it would be the camera incident. Right. Now, I mean, we've all done stupid things, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, apologizing for his, uh, for what he did. Obviously, of course, what he did was wrong, but uh, um, I would definitely say that, you know, that led more to him feeling bad because he seemed like a guy that cared, just that sometimes maybe had poor judgment. I guess I don't know, maybe. because everybody says he was a nice guy in music, so he must have been a nice guy in real life. So, yeah, I think, you know, I don't know. And we're just speculating all this. We don't know the facts about it still. At least, at least I don't. Maybe they're out there and I just haven't seen them. But, uh, you know, I, I, I would think that the personal stuff would lead more to a depressing state than getting a dressing down from your band leader. You know what I mean? I don't know. Just the way that I'm thinking. What do you think, Andy? Nice. Go ahead, Andy. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, that's why I don't get too much into these people's personal lives. We don't know who these people really are. It's the right. songs that we fall in love with. It's it's their thoughts. It's their fantasies that uh, we fall in love with. But, you know, everyday life, you know, um, supposedly he had a video camera and was recording his fiance's um, younger sister, um, you know, without her permission. And he stopped because he got caught, you know, and who knows what kind, what kind of mind frame he was in right. when he was doing these things. But still, there's no excuse. You know that you're um, invading a privacy of another human and another right. human that is the considered you one of her best friends. And he, he kind of took advantage of that if this is all true. And there doesn't seem to be a, um, be a story that, 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 that rivals it or says it's not true. Cause he, he put a lot of I'm sorry's there for, for what yeah. he did and right. a lot of sorry's for what had happened. Right. Yeah, but he writes to divide them, like to separate them from blame. He writes specifically that. And and I think who knows if it was the stress of thinking of going on tour with with a band and doing a big national tour is stressful, obviously. And if he already had a lot of issues with Shoals or if he had all of his own personal issues and this just culminates to a point. Yeah. Because yeah. he seemed to have a lot going on at that mm-hmm. time when, when he was already, he was already in a fragile state as uh, we know about his life. Ever since he was a young age, he was al- always in a fragile state. That right. is true. That is very and, true. I, for, I forgot about that when I said I was, yeah. team, I was team Tom because his, his, his frame of mind could have been, you know, really fragile before even the video thing happened. So Right. Yeah. And you don't know any other factors that could play into it. He could have been medicated. He could have been abusing drugs or alcohol or 
there's so many elements that could be going on in someone's life that you don't know why they would take their own life. Because there's a well, lot of blame. I don't know why there's such, like, aggression and blame towards people that do commit suicide. Obviously, the people who are the survivors of this are upset and frustrated, but you don't know what was going on in their own mind and what kind of hell they were living with and how long they were living with it, which we discussed it. He'd been having issues since he was a teenager. And um, who's to say maybe he was a pervert that we didn't know about. Yeah. I would hate to. Yeah. I would hate remember. (laughs) Go ahead, Jerry. I would would hate to. Yeah. That way, but, uh, that's it's a possibility, unfortunately. Digging into these things that, you know, you end up, if you dig too much, it's like a little kid finding their own presence on Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> that you dig too much and you find something yeah. upsetting about someone. That, like, um, oh, in the Who, do you remember um, that big thing? What the heck? Uh, with that town- Pete, oh, with Pete was it Townsend or was it? Yeah. And he's like trying to expose child pornographers but then he gets in trouble oh, yeah, for it yeah, yeah, and he's like yeah. i'm just trying to expose people blah 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 and it's like all right well what do you believe because right. there's a real shady side of that or there is like he was trying to bring justice to it do you what do you know about it and that's something i always think of is like yikes that kind of stuff you find out when you do these deep dives that could be disturbing or upsetting or obviously like this is a big trigger that I tried to warn people about prior to even talking about what happened to him but I don't know you don't know what was going on in their head and why they were doing what they were doing every impression that I get of the guy seemed like he was a very very nice individual you know what I mean you know and you know he got caught who knows how long he would have continued if he didn't get caught obviously but obviously it affected them enough to, you know, put yeah, him over follow, the, put, follow through. Yeah. Exactly. That he had shame. That yeah, he, exactly. felt, uh, he felt shame. And the people that he loved and loved him so much, he was never going to be able to see them face to face again. Yeah. Even, even if they're forgiven, it's like he couldn't look yeah. at the same person again. They'll exactly. always be different. There'll always be right. something there that feels dirty right well and there's that level of like his fiance had an affair and and these other things going on so it's just not one thing that like he's some kind of pervert like he obviously had this hanging over his head that she had had an affair and then who knows what kind of feelings he started developing towards the sister and it's such a a weird mishmash of things going on that you wonder But we won't know, you know, you can't ask him. So that's just one of those that's like, how do you compartmentalize these separate things and then look at the whole picture is just lots of different aspects of depression and mental illness, obviously. And and he says himself like that summary of sunshine isn't a substitute for a good psychiatrist. And I think it's especially generational that all these guys are raised by the silent generation and that way of thinking kills people. And I've said it before in other episodes of different podcasts that silence kills men. 
And being yeah. that stoic or being, you know, you don't want to expose yourself as having any kind of mental illness because that's the way you were raised. Like, that's such an issue. And I feel like the stigma is improving, but not there yet. Right. And that's such a problem in in rock, in life, in, in anywhere around the world that so many people have that in their head that you don't talk about right. mental illness. You don't talk about your depression. You don't talk about your feelings to other people. Right. Well, I think the younger the younger male generation mm-hmm. is a little bit more comfortable with talking about mental illness. But still, the men of my generation are higher, will never admit right. it. Right. They just won't. Right. Um, um, they will just deal with it. Right. Uh, they won't you, even... Like, Suffering suffering in silence is not a way to live. That's such a problem with that where you're raised by people that you don't have any kind of emotion or affection or, you know, was he hugged as a kid? Did his parents love him? Did what kind of things set up someone for that kind of fall anyway? Yeah, but also, you know, some people are born with um, a with this I don't want to call it a defect but some kind of issue but just a true chemical imbalance I mean brain chemicals are such a powerful thing and and even stuff now in your research of just like your own like GI health I know that sounds ridiculous but your own GI health and knowing how you're absorbing micronutrients and getting enough sleep and all the people who have issues with sleep apnea and how many things that affects in your brain and all the research they're doing now in science that is available and studies that are available that prove that all these things that you'd never think about are such a huge effect on depression and anxiety. And I mean, anything from Alzheimer's all the way to, (laughs) it's just so many things that are affected by by little minutia in your day to day that you're not thinking about, and it's like how many other things were going on with him besides and that. That, but also think of these rock stars that are on stage. The pressure, around, and they travel all around the world. The exhaustion. Thousands of fans <laughs> yeah. just yeah. cheering for you, and then one day it just stops. Well, in the highs and the lows, that being on stage oh, and, yeah. and the high, and you're always chasing the dragon with the high of being on stage. Because that was, not to toot my own horn, but just me doing stand-up. I started doing some stand-up comedy, and that right. high of, of getting the let, let, let me interject about the stand-up thing. <laughs> that was outstanding. That was, that oh, was man. funny. I'm not saying it to be a friend. I'm saying that was really good. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. That, but that high of of getting yeah. that laugh and having a good set, and then literally the next time that I did it, I did an open mic to a bar that had almost no one in it, and I did eight and a half minutes of like one person laughed a handful of times, and it's like. Damn, what if you have a bad crowd the one night where yeah. you were doing some huge arena show and the crowd turns on you? Yeah. I can't just I can't articulate very well in in how that feels that I was so lucky for my first time went great. 
you know, and then the next time I'm like, oh, my gosh, if that was the first time I ever did that, I would never do it again. And I think some of these guys get into that cycle of that high versus you have a bad crowd and that low. It is it guts you. It I did another open mic a few weeks later I do this other open mic and I'm going on and, and I have another joke in this, this broad and the audience is like, she's still going. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I just felt gutted. Where like, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this was a stand-up show. Like that just, I can't explain how much that, that hurt my right. soul. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 to think of these guys where it's like that pressure of like you were going to go on another national tour in arenas and thinking of like I have to have the whole crowd love me and I have to do this and that and all these things that you think of that are such stupid thoughts to have but this paranoia and I don't know I not like I can say that I can relate. I've never played an arena, but just thinking of like even being in front of a hundred people, like that first show I did was like 150 people. And then to do one that went to shit in front of 10 people. (laughs) And that one just crushed me beyond compare. And I, I can't imagine thinking of doing anything in front of an arena. It is just, mind-boggling to me to to get on that level and then especially obviously he has stuff in his own personal life that is just so heavy you know that imagine being cheated on like that and you're living with that and then you're still in the process where you're going to still marry this person but how do you ever have trust again and then he does this other thing of like he's spying on the sister-in-law and maybe she was like such a supportive character in getting him through the cheating from his fiance and to go where you can get that. Um, I don't know what I want to say where it's like almost Stockholm like, syndrome where it's like someone like who is caring for you in a vulnerable position. I don't know if that's the right like idea, but but that maybe she was really there for him and helped right. him a lot. And then you start falling for that person. And like and he took it the wrong way. Obviously, yeah. I mean, just yeah. things went terribly wrong. And, and then to get caught and called out and they give him the opportunity to fix things or at least like manage whatever is going on. And it's like, I can't confront that. I can't do that. And yeah. it, it's sad. It's just such a mess that it's really sad like reading into this and going deeper dive on this that it's just a really heavy it's a lot of it's a lot of feels <laughs> to borrow yes, something definitely. from these to borrow something from these kids these days it's a lot of feels because i i can i'm such a um like emotional but um empathetic that i could feel for all the people in these situations that i feel and could understand everyone's emotion throughout this whole process and unfortunate ending. Yeah. And yeah, after, I mean, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you're good. I'm. I just mean like uh, even the aftermath that all these other survivors deal with is just such a heavy subject matter, and and lots of thought put into how these other people are dealing and how these other people feel. And that's 
like I said, when history loves to paint a monster that shows, like, he didn't have anything to do with any of the personal stuff. But what yeah. other roles did he play throughout throughout their time as a band? I mean, you know, it, it's so hard to say because we weren't there. Yeah, but, I mean, they Boston, he, Tom recorded with other singers. Right. Maybe, maybe he didn't have the success that he had with Brad, maybe. I don't know. Right. Uh, but there's no, I don't think there's any legal bond that they had where Brad had to come back. You know what I mean? Right. I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like you said, this is all, you know, articles that we've read and stuff like that. We don't know what went on. We're getting but, a uh, lot of hearsay. So it's just, exactly. it's, it's very difficult to navigate after the fact. Yeah. And, and the other thing that like in having, my own friends that have passed from, you know, drugs or suicide or whatever. And everyone's like, well, what happened? What this, what that, what this? And it's like, you know, thinking about all this stuff isn't bringing them back. It's just rehashing very painful things for the family. It's rehashing very painful things for the friends of theirs. And just having all this. And I feel like that's such a negative energy to like, you have to know what took their life or this or that. And it's like, why? Like they're gone. Respect that. Like, you know, it could have been an accident. It could have been purposeful. And, and any of the thought or emotion you're putting into it isn't bringing them back. It's like you need to celebrate the time they were alive. You need to celebrate the contribution they had, especially these musicians and these untimely deaths of, of any famous musician and, and celebrate what they meant to you and how they helped you throughout your life and not focus on some moment, you know, his suicide is just a moment. It's sad and, and it's hard to fully process that, but that's such a, a, like in my mind that's such an insignificant thing of their life that you should focus on all these other things that are good and not keep rehashing these these sad things i don't i it's hard to say exactly how to feel about these things and everyone's different in their own experience and everyone's different in their own processing of of grief but I hope people can learn from that. Like you take something like a suicide like that, obviously you hope that this would help someone else somehow that they would not do the same thing, that they would seek help, that they would talk to someone. He, you know, how many different things you could think of, of, of what could have saved his life. And I talked about this before with like Chris Cornell, where it's like, Oh yes. That was in Detroit, and that's really personal to me, and I've really thought about that a lot, and it's really heavy in my mind where it's like, were you the fan at a show that could have cheered enough or showed enough love to that musician that you could have saved them or your own personal friends if you've ever lost a friend to suicide? It's like, could you have called them that day and just by chance you caught them and and stopped that? Like, you can't punish yourself like that in my that's I obsess over that it's such an unhealthy way of thinking but I like obsess over that because I've lost this year I've lost two very good friends to different stuff and it's like a mystery of what exactly happened but was it purposeful or not I don't know and it's like could you have 
have reached out and been the person that pulled them out of whatever. And you, it's just so hard to take that and think about it too much. It's just not fair to yourself to deal with grief that way, if that makes sense. And it's, it's trying to get the word out there, like, especially with this, where he's such a famous person and everyone knows it was a suicide. And it's like, get the word out there, like, at the end of this, I'll talk more about a couple of things that I want people to look up. And then, you know, like the National Suicide Crisis Line is available. It's 988. And you can call, you can text, you can do whatever to reach out. Like if you can't reach out to a personal friend or family member. And it's just such a difficult thing to really wrap your head around. You know, life is life is better with you in the world. No matter what's going on, no matter what you've done. People are human, and just understanding that people make errors, people do really horrible things sometimes, but that doesn't make you a horrible person for your whole life. Yes, exactly. I've done some stupid shit in my <laughs> life. I mean, I really have. <laughs> all of us, I mean, all of us have, and that's like, you know, you do some things that you regret later, and and we're creatures that we act in, in passion, and you might have said something or done something that you regret later and you need to be able to be forgiven for those things and it's it's such a, a a strange journey that we're all on and we're all trying to figure it out together and I just uh man I don't know this got real heavy and and I apologize to any listeners if this was triggering but I hope that you would reach out to someone if you need help or if you're having a really bad time like you know this like I was talking about to the guys earlier that I've been having a bad time this month and just life and things suck sometimes, but you got to yeah. look forward to the good times. The the bad times don't last. No, they tough, don't. Tough times don't last. Tough people do. And, and I believe in that and that you just have to reach out if you're having a problem and and if you have a hobby like do what you love I love doing these podcasts I love so many things in life and that's when you're having a tough time like you need to do things that make you happy and you need to reach out to people when you need help and uh, I don't know I just wish I could like hug anyone that was having that feeling because I've been there before myself and and you wish there was a way you could save them you know I agree 100% with what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sad. I've lost some people to suicide. You know, yeah. I've, I've lost some people to drug use. Yeah, um, and I and think I, that's I, like an unintentional suicide yes, where you're like, absolutely. you're to the point that you don't care, you know. Absolutely, absolutely, 100%. You got to look out for these signs, man. Don't be afraid to ask people how they're doing, you know. Check on your happy friends because exactly. he's the nicest guy in rock and roll, and it's like, yeah. You know, anyone who's been in that state of mind and been in that deep, dark hole that you personally never want anyone around you to feel that way. So that's someone like Robin Williams. Exactly. Lifelong depression, lifelong anxiety, all these issues. And it's like he and I understand his reason because he had Lewy body dementia, which is like you're going into that. There's no coming out of that. And I understand why he took his own life. But that's someone who made millions and millions of people happy and beloved by 
how many people around the world for all of his stuff that he's ever done. And that's someone that, you know, with that disease process, he ends up taking his own life. And, and I understand why, because obviously that's not a recoverable disease, but that's people with depression and, and things. That's something that you can get help. You can reach out. You can get better. Yeah. You know, there's, there's hope. There's, there's just better solutions and that's I just want so many people and that's why I was really you know not I don't want to say excited but just something that like I was interested in doing this topic and I wanted to talk about this because it's such an important thing in my mind that we need to get out there and this is such a great way to talk about it that someone famous as he was as Brad Delp was to to bring this up and it's not just in the limelight that you could bring it to the forefront and talk about these different things where like um there's all these different numbers like I said 988 but there's my friend actually in Detroit has has a group that's a nonprofit called 6 feet over and it's 6feetover.org and this is help for people who are suicidal and people who are survivors the family and different things there's a lot of resources for these people um soldiers obviously PTSD and things are such a huge issue and unfortunately, our country is really shitty about taking care of these people when they come home from war and trauma. Um, there's Stop Soldier Suicide. There's the Veterans Association. Just all these different resources that I want to put out there and verbalize on this episode specifically just because of the content. But yeah, you mentioned you mentioned the veterans. I mean, they deserve so much better. They oh really man, the VA the just has so many problems, and the funding yes. is horrendous. And and any homeless veteran or anyone suffering from PTSD, man, do I? Oh, we just let them down so bad. I mean, this country's so backwards on sending these kids to war, and then having no support when they get home. And I've had numerous friends that have been in active duty and come home and have all these problems with PTSD and not just like it's such a strange thing because like the silent generation like I've talked about in this episode already that World War II people come home they never say a thing and then you have these people coming home from like Vietnam and they're trying to talk about their trauma and it's like shut up like you we don't talk about that and we don't do this and it's like that's why these people die that's why these guys get addicted to drugs and that's there's, I talked about John Prine, amazing song, Sam Stone, is about being addicted to drugs and dying of heroin overdose because you come home damaged and no one's there to help you. Yeah. And it's still the same. That's even from Vietnam. I don't think many things have improved for veterans. So I really have a huge, huge hole in my heart thinking that anyone could come home from active duty and and be neglected by our own government is just yeah, mind-boggling we pay somebody 700 million dollars to play a sport and then we throw our veterans on the street yeah and, it is and, i can't even express how frustrating and i have a lot of uh expletives that i could say about that yeah <laughs> um but yeah i just i want to end on a high note of of there's so many good things to live for and there's sure. so many, so many resources now and talk about it, 
I'm listening. These guys are listening. Somebody wants to help you. And like Jerry said, life's better with you in it. If I could reach one single person, this would be my whole goal in life is to help one person out of that hole. Exactly. Let me say a couple more things here and then we'll wrap it up. Um, give our, our final thoughts. I want to say that in a personal life that, uh, Brad was really against animal cruelty and supposedly domestic abuse. Um, he supposedly talked bad about it, but, you know, I, <laughs> the, the circumstances, you know, we, right. we talked about earlier, right. I don't know about that. You know, him and Tom both were very, very generous. They, they refused to live like they were rich. I mean, Brad and Tom both said they could never see themselves owning a Learjet or limos, or they decided to choose fill in, fill out, I have trouble with that word, fill, fill in philanthropy instead <laughs> always had trouble right. saying that word it's a, it's and boston still tours they have a singer named tommy DeCarlo now who's a really good singer not as good as brad they definitely miss his voice up there but you know the music is still out there and the music will be there forever um that is one great thing about this you know out of this whole tragedy that you can hear his music basically every day on the radio so right he really hasn't gone far in our hearts, you know what I mean, or in our ears. So he's still there. Yes. He's still there. Andy. That's, that's the big thing. Yeah. Andy, um, yeah. Um, this was an amazing show. You know, our first show of Three Shots Now, because we saw the rise and fall of one of our favorite rock and roll singers. Yeah. You know, we saw his height and freedom. Uh, I mean, his his height. In what um, he was doing, and then to fall to the worst thing possible of taking your own life, which is the worst thing that you can do with with the greatest gift that you've been given, which yeah. is life. Um, it's a shame, and I really hope, like um, Kate and Jerry were saying, we really hope that this episode touches somebody, and yeah. uh, we and I really hope that. And changes someone's mind, or maybe that person can change someone else's mind, and it just trickles up to 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 goodness. So that's what I hope about this episode. And um, you know, we've got um, a long road to go um, on our podcast because we have a lot, a lot to talk about. And this was a very good start to. Yes to talk about something that's that, that that's deep and, and 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 it it does affect a lot of people personally suicide um not just um some of our favorite musicians but some of our friends and relatives so um i think we I, I think we all I, I think we all know somebody that you know, yeah. that, have, that have done this and it's, it's right it's sad it really is okay kate any final words I think, um, especially with these rock stars, when you deify someone, you have to remember they're only human, that there are no gods yeah. on this earth, at least in, in my mind. And we have to take into consideration how delicate a human being is. Yes. And, man, I hope... If this just helps one person, I'd be thrilled, you know? Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, you know, life is 
you, there's no do-overs. Once it's done, it's done. Um, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. you know, it's full. It's full life. You know, just it's constantly going to kick you in your ass. You just got to learn to find, find a way to find a way to to, to, to beat it. You know, to mm-hmm. fight. We're on to we're on a roller coaster. We gotta buckle up, be in it together. Look out for your brother, man. Like that's all I can say. Look out for your brother. All right, you know what, you guys? I've really, this is, I think this is a really good first show. I'm looking forward to do more in the future. And I hope you all like that out here, you know, what you hear, too. Please um, let us know what you think. I'm going to restart the Three Shots Down page on Facebook. My sister's going to be working on some stuff with that. Please subscribe to that. And uh, we're going to do some, we're going to do a couple of shows. We're trying to do a couple of shows a month. Um, we're not really going to rush anything because, you know, we're all kind of busy. But we, we hope to give you, you know, some good content. And I think we've got some good stuff planned, and I hope you all like it. Kate and Andy, man, you know, you guys, thank you very much for doing this with me again. You know, I think we're going to have a great time doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I love I you guys. So I think love this you guys. Will be awesome. Yes. All right, you guys. Take care. Take good care, night. y'all. I will talk to y'all soon. All right. Bye-bye.